hold up, guys. We can't go back this way. But this is the way we came. But he would take us straight to Herod. Just as he asked us to do. I, I won't do it. We have to protect the child. Protect him from what? Didn't you see Herod's expression when we told him we're going to see the new Messiah? He told us to return to him and report what we saw. That's what we're doing. Yeah, but it was the way he said it. You could, in the way he asked questions, his true intentions came out. Didn't you see his eyes? They were red. He's not known for his warmth. Besides, <laughs> changing course now will add three months to our journey. But listen to this, Brett. The scriptures have told of this coming for a long time, even in Daniel. And we have studied. We've studied all the facts. We weighed it all. But have we really, truly discovered faith? Yes, that is faith. But, but consider this. You and I, we are kingsmakers. We have been inherited the ability to give rule and reign to those for generations. Right? Right. And I believe that we have found the one who we will bow down to. What child is this that even kingmakers will bow down to? This changes everything. Herod is threatened by the child. Because he threatens all who worship power. No, no. We're not changing our plans just because we have some uninformed notion. But, but I had a vision. Go on. It, it was a dream the other night. I thought it was just a taste that I needed. But now I know what he wanted. We're not to go back. You might have mentioned that a bit earlier, my friend. You're right, Gaspar. This changes everything. And now we have our newborn king. This, this is Christ the King, whose shepherds God and angels sing. Praise, haste to bring him on, the babe, the son of Mary. morning. Good morning and Merry Christmas. I had somebody in the store say to me a couple of weeks ago, Merry Christmas, and it just kind of grabbed me by surprise. I was like, yeah, you're right. Merry Christmas. I said, thank you for saying that because I remember all those years when you weren't supposed to say that. You had to say happy holidays. So, so Merry Christmas. So before we begin, will you join me in prayer? Father God, we just thank you for today, Lord. We thank you for a day when we can come and worship you, Lord, when we can come and put you at the center of all that we are and that we can worship and praise you, Father God, that we can read your word, Lord. Lord, I just my prayer this morning is that we would open our hearts to hear what you have to say to each and every one of us. So we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, my name is Pete Walmart. For those of you I have not met, uh, my wife is right here, Monica. And a couple of weeks ago, we were in Manhattan, Kansas. Yes, the, the little apple, they call it. Not the, yes, the little apple. And uh, if you've never been to Kansas, it's flat, very flat, very flat, 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 flat. Um, and as we drove around, we did a lot of driving. As we drove around, we kept passing this billboard. And the billboard didn't matter. It seemed to matter which way we went. We went left the house and went to the left. We seemed to drive by this billboard. 
if we went to the right, somehow we seemed to pass by this billboard. And it was one of those, Lord, are you trying to tell me something moments? And this is what it said, at least this is the first half of it. At the very top of it, it said, in this life, you have many choices. And that's true, isn't it? We have many choices. I'll give you an example. I don't even drink coffee, but even I know this. From here to the other side of Edgewood, you you have at least, at least ten choices of places where you can get a frappuccino or a cappuccino or whatever it is you people drink. (laughs) At least, and I'm sure I'm missing some, but at least ten choices. And that's before you even walk in the door. And then you walk in the door and you have this exhaustive drink menu. I mean, it's unbelievable. And then once you settle on a drink, you have a seemingly endless way, number of ways in which it can be prepared. Ask any barista. And if you're a barista, God bless you, because I don't know how you do that. I'm sure they don't get one drink repeated during the whole day. I'm sure it's all different. So in this life, you have many, many choices. We're continuing our series called The Songs of the Savior, and this week we're looking at the hymn, What Child Is This? So here's the first stanza. What child is this who laid the rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. Now notice that the title and the first line of this song is a question. Yeah, it's an actual question. What child is this? And because in this life you have many choices, you have a choice as to how you ask that question. You can ask what child is this with awe and reverence and wonder and hope. Or you can ask that question with disdain and disinterest. You have a choice. In this life, you have many choices. Maybe you love the season of Christmas. You love the presents. You love the lights. You love the songs. And that baby Jesus, that child, fits in really nicely with the season. But beyond Christmas, not much interest. Or maybe you were dragged here this morning and you're counting the moments that you can finally leave when this will all be over. You don't have any interest in what child is this. Or maybe you come here every single Sunday faithfully, but you're tired because you're busy. And this is a busy season and you're worn out. And what child is this? That's just a song. It's a song we sing. Beyond that, you're too tired for anything else. But this morning, I'm asking that you will make a different decision. Will you make a decision to take another look at what child is this? Will you make a decision to think and find out maybe that birth of Jesus was much more than a singular event? Maybe it was way bigger than that. Would you take a choice to walk with me on a little journey. You don't have to, because in this life you have many choices. But come with me. You're here anyway. I won't take long. 
Just walk with me on this journey. Let's start. So we're going to start this morning in the book of Matthew, chapter 2. And we're going to pick up right where Pastor Jesse left off last week. And if you missed that message or Braden's message the week before, go to our website, take a listen. It will be well worth it. So here it is. We're in Matthew chapter 2, starting with verse 1. And this is what it says. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he? who has been born king of the Jews. For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. So that first verse has the word behold in it. And behold, by definition, means to fix your eyes upon, to see with attention, to observe with care. It means in God's terminology, when you see the word behold, pump the brakes, slow down, stop, take a look. Because I, the Lord, am about to share with you something truly amazing. Now, every once in a while, I come across a verse in the Bible that's not very well written. So I do God a favor, and I rewrite it for him. I just don't think it's as powerful as it could be. So I rewrite it, and I take it to God and say, you know, this would be so much better if you'd said it this way. And he usually comes back with, it's perfect the way it was. Go back and take another look. So I do. So this word has the word behold in it, and to me, this verse should have said, tell me this is not better. Behold, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and oh, by the way, some guys from the east came to visit him. That's the way it should have been written. But God said, nope, it's perfect just the way it was. This is what it says. It says, behold, magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. That's the part I need to pay attention to. There's something there. Now, the NASB uses the term magi. And the King James Version uses the term wise men. And I like both of those. I'm good with that. But some versions use words and phrases like astrologers and men who study the stars. And that bothers me. That offends my religion. I don't like that. So if I had to use just one verse, I would never use wise men. I would just sort of skip past it because I don't really want to look at it. But that word magi really means people that study the stars. It means magicians. It offends me. It offends my religion. I don't believe in horoscopes or astrology or fortune cookies. I mean, I'll eat the fortune cookies, but I don't believe in the fortune cookies. See, that bothers me. So I'm a little offended, and maybe I'm a little afraid, because I'm wondering how these guys got a behold in front of their introduction. (laughs) Doesn't make sense to me. And here's what I finally realized, after a back and forth with God. Maybe it's because they sought him. Maybe it's because they came to worship him. And maybe... That desire for a personal relationship with a God they don't fully understand is more important than my religion. Maybe I need to criticize less. Maybe I need to seek God more. Maybe I need to worship him and him alone and lay everything else to the side. Maybe I need to be asking with more sincerity, what child is this? Maybe that's a decision I have to make. 
Because in this life, I have many choices. Now, where these wise men came from is also a guess. Many believe they came from Babylon. If they were, if they did, they traveled for about four months to get to Jesus. Remember our study on Ezra and Nehemiah? Here's a passage that we read. On the first day of the first month, he began his journey, he being Ezra, from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem, according to the good hand of the Lord upon him. And we focused about that good hand of the Lord upon him. But notice, it took Ezra four months to get there. Many believe it was Babylon because in the book of Daniel, we find that in Babylon, they too had their wise men. And if you read the book of Daniel 2, or the chapter Daniel 2, you'll see that Daniel introduced them to a God who saved their lives in dramatic fashion. In Daniel 2, King Nebuchadnezzar has a nightmare, and it frightens him. And it so frightens him that he can't even remember the nightmare. But he wakes up so afraid, and he calls all of his wise men, and he says, What was my dream, and what does it mean? And they say, you got to be kidding me. Nobody could tell you that. If you tell us what your dream is, we can interpret it for you. But we can't tell you what your dream was. You would have to tell us that. And that enraged the king. And so the king wanted to have them all killed. And Daniel steps forward and with enough faith and trust in God to say, I can tell you what your dream means. And King Nebuchadnezzar says, is this true? And this is what Daniel said. Daniel replied, no wise man, astrologer, magician, or wizard can tell the king such things. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has told you in your dream what will happen in the future. This was your dream. And then Daniel goes on to tell him exactly what he dreamed and exactly what it meant. And with that, he saved the lives of all those wise men. You don't think now they're not interested in this God in heaven? You don't think now they don't want to take a look at these scriptures that Daniel's been looking at? You don't think now they want to know more about who this God is? That's why they showed up in Jerusalem. That's why they were saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. Why was Herod troubled? And why was all of Jerusalem troubled with him? Well, the scripture says they were saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? The context of that word saying means they weren't just walking around quietly going, where was he born king of the Jews? No, they were going to everyone, everywhere. Where was he born king of the Jews? You, you don't know. How about you guys? Do you guys know where he was who was born king of the Jews? Anybody, anybody know? How about you guys? Anybody? How about, no? They were saying, they were going everywhere. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And this was troubling. Because they, as foreigners, knew of the monumental birth. They apparently assumed that everyone in Judea, and certainly in Jerusalem, would know about where this baby was born. They must have been a little more shocked to discover that nobody knew what they were talking about. 
the people of Jerusalem hear all this commotion and know these are wise men from the east, and they don't like them for a number of reasons, the foremost being that most of the enemies of Jerusalem are from the east. So here come these enemies wanting to know about the king of the Jews. And Herod is bothered because he is Herod the Great, king of the Jews, even though he's not Jewish. So he's bothered. Herod knows what child this is. This is the child that is the rightful king of the Jews. And if Jesus is going to be king, Herod is not. Now, Herod was not a nice guy. He's ruled by terror and murder. At one point, he even thinks his sons are going to assassinate him, so he has them executed. Not a nice guy. But he's also clever. So in verse 4, King Herod goes to work, and gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you will come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So the language here describes an immediate gathering of all the chief priests and the scribes of the people. So think of the scribes as being attorneys. They're not necessarily religious, but they're very well versed in the scriptures. Who does he gather? All the chief priests and all the scribes. How many? Take a look around you. About this many. That's a lot of people. He doesn't just call one priest. He calls all these people, all the chief priests, all the scribes. And they all answer in unison to him, to the question, where is he that is born king of the Jews? And they said to him, in Bethlehem, because this is what we read from the prophet. Now, the prophet they're referring to is Micah, and Braden mentioned this in his message. Micah prophesied that from Bethlehem would come forth a ruler, and that ruler would lead the people of Israel. Now, Matthew doesn't quote the verse exactly from Scripture, but he gets a point of cross. Bethlehem is the location. Verse 7, Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. Now this verse shows two different agendas at work. We have the wise men from the east who are bringing a very transparent agenda. They're convinced by Jewish prophecy and a strange star in the night sky that Christ, the king of the Jews, has been born in Israel. They have come to worship him and honor him. The second agenda belongs to Herod, who is the reigning king of the Jews under the authority of Rome. The King James Version says that he inquired of them, the wise men, he inquired of them diligently. The Greek word used here means exact or precise. His intention is to find out if the Christ has really been born, and if so, to kill him to protect his own power. He has enough belief, and this I thought was interesting, he has enough belief in God's prophecy to fear it from being true, but not enough to trust that God has what's best for Israel. 
And so it's here where I had to ask myself, what agenda do I follow? Do I trust God enough to know that he has what's best for me? Do you? So Herod calls the wise men to come to him secretly. His instinct is to keep it quiet, as quiet as possible. He wants to know the exact time the star first appeared in the sky. And his purpose is very clear. He wants to narrow down the description of this potential rival. Verse 8. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. Notice the wording, go and search carefully. Same Greek word is used here, precise. Search precisely. And when you find him, bring back word. I want to know who his parents are. I want to know who he is. I want to know where they live. I want to know everything. Exactness. I want to know everything. Bring it back to me. I'll go worship him. Yeah, sure you will. Verse 9. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went on ahead of them until it came to a stop over a place where the child was to be found. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now, very probably before this, they were probably sad. They were probably discouraged. They'd been on a four-month journey, and nobody can tell them where this child is. Their journey felt like one with no purpose. They'd been at Jerusalem. They'd expected to find him there. They went to court. They talked with people of all means. They even talked to the king, and nobody could find a trace of them. People of all statuses seemed to be troubled at the account that they brought, and nobody wanted to go with them to Bethlehem. All these things had to be discouraging for them. And maybe you can relate to that. You're on a path that you think God has you on, but it's discouraging because you're not seeing much fruit. You're doing your best. You're trying to do everything God has for you, but nothing is coming to fruition. Well, keep going. Keep pressing forward. If you see a donkey, stop. But other than that, keep going. It's an Old Testament reference. Look it up. <laughs> but as soon as they saw the star, joy filled their hearts. And they pursued their journey with inexpressible delight till they came to the place where Jesus was. Verse 11. And after they came into the house, they saw Jesus, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him Gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So bring him incense, gold, and myrrh. Come peasant, king, to own him. The king of kings, salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. Raise, raise a song on high. The virgin sings her lullaby. Joy, joy, for Christ is born. The babe, the son of Mary. What's interesting is that this prophecy from Micah 5 promises a new David, a king who will shepherd his people, defeat their enemies, and bring a time of great peace. Under this king, those nations in the east would come to Israel to be defeated by Israel. Instead of them shepherding Israel, Israel would shepherd them. This would be a new day 
where instead of tribute and wealth flowing out of Jerusalem, money would be flowing in. Instead of Israel paying other nations to leave them alone, the nations would pay Israel money. The nations would come not to invade, but to join them under a new king who would bring peace into the world. That's Micah. This is the background for this entire passage in Matthew 2. And now these magi are coming from the east, from Babylon, or maybe it was Assyria or Persia, from those nations who invaded and conquered and terrorized Israel. And they are coming not to make war, but to worship, not to plunder, but to praise, not to take, but to give, just like God said they would. And what does that say to us about our worship and our praise? Do we come for ourselves or do we come to worship him? And him alone. They came to praise him simply for who he is. Maybe I can learn something from that. So what child is this? This is the promised king. This is the one who was to gather the nations and bring peace to the world. This is the child who has already begun to fulfill his destiny. Even at this point. This is what the magi symbolize. The enemies the nations bringing tribute to the king of the Jews. And they're overjoyed in doing this. Verse 12, And after being warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. But what we have here in Matthew 2 is the tale of two enemies, Herod and the wise men. Both are enemies. Both are outsiders. Neither of them belongs. Both hear about Jesus, and they respond to him in totally different ways. In this life, you have many choices. With all of our many choices and decisions, we either draw closer to God or closer to the world. In Genesis, God calls Abraham to leave his homeland and go to a new land that God will show him. Abraham trusted in God's promise to make him into a great nation, and he obeyed God's command. Abraham's decision to leave home was a difficult one. It required him to trust in God's guidance. In Exodus, God calls Moses of the Israelites to lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. Moses was not a skilled speaker and faced opposition from both the Israelites and the Egyptians. Moses ultimately, however, led the Israelites to freedom. But it required him to trust in God's power. In the book of Ruth, Ruth makes the difficult decision to stay with her mother-in-law, Naomi, even though her husband has died, and Naomi urges her to return to her own people. Ruth's loyalty and devotion to Naomi ultimately led her to become part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. But it required her to trust in God's plan. And in 1 Samuel, David has the opportunity to kill Saul, who has been pursuing him relentlessly. However, David chooses to spare Saul's life, saying, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is anointed of the Lord. David's decision was difficult. After all, Saul was trying to kill him. But he made that decision because he trusted in God's authority. Let me call the worship team as I close with this. There are really two ways to respond to Jesus. You can be like Herod and Jerusalem 
and you can refuse him and ignore him, or you can be like the Magi and come and meet Jesus, worship him, and be overjoyed in him. That billboard that I told you at the very beginning, the one that started with, in this life you have many choices, the last part of it said this. At the bottom it said, in eternity you only have two. Only two choices, and those are determined how we live today. Yeah, there are a lot of choices to make in life, but only one will really matter. Moses challenged the children of Israel with this. He said, I set before you life and death. Choose life. What child is this? He is the one that can give you that life. What choice will you make today? Will you close with me in prayer? Father God, we come before this child this morning. We come before him to worship him, to praise him, to give him thanks. We come to adore him, Father God. We come to lay all of our worries and our cares aside to the only one that really matters in this life, to the only decision that really matters. Father God, we give to you today our hearts, our lives. Guide us, direct us, Father God. We thank you for who you are, Father God. We thank you for what you've already done, Lord. We just give you praise and glory this morning, Lord. And we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.